Tonight we're discussing Revelation chapter 13, the first part of Revelation chapter 13. This beast power that's mentioned, there's actually two beasts mentioned in Revelation 13. We're going to be covering the first one tonight. Next week we'll look at the second one. Uh, it's also known as the anti-Messiah power. It's a very important topic. The um, Bible goes on later on to say that anyone who receives the mark of this beast will receive the wrath of God poured out without measure. And that's uh, pretty serious stuff. And so obviously God would want to warn us regarding that. And so we would have to know which is this power, who is this power, so that we don't receive its mark. Because again, it's going to be a great deception. Um, as we see throughout Revelation, there's the true and there's the counterfeit. And the counterfeit is always very close to looking to the real. All right, so there's two beasts. We have this beast. We have then the lamb. We have two women. We have two feasts, uh, two cities. And so there's the truth. And then Satan trying to counterfeit it. There is the one who was and is and who is to come. And then Satan tries to duplicate that and copy that as well. And so the, uh, just a counterfeit bill, right? A counterfeit bill wouldn't be pink, right? It would have to be green and at least look very similar to. And so it's going to look very similar. It's going to look very nice. And the whole world is going to wander after this beast. So obviously it's not going to be a beastly, ugly, gruesome, obviously not good thing. Uh, so it's going to be very deceptive. But the Bible, so God would want us to know which power this is so that we can be prepared to not receive its mark. Uh, if you uh, heard on the news uh, on your way to work, uh, be careful. There's a street in town that there's horrible things happening. There's a sinkhole that'll swallow your car. There's flooding. There's fires. There's a gunfire going on there. Stay away from that street. You may get in big trouble. Right? And they don't tell you what street it is. Right? You wouldn't know where to drive. You would be nervous. and I don't know where. Maybe I'll just go back home. I won't go to work today. Right? And so uh, God will not only gives us this great warning, don't receive the mark of this beast, but then he would have to let us know what that beast is. And so he does in quite detail with 10 identifying marks, 10 identifying descriptions, clues for us to be able to figure out who this power is. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to look at these 10 clues, and then you are going to tell me who that power is. I'm not going to tell you. We're just going to look at what the Bible says. And then from that, you guys will be able to uh, determine that. Okay, so let's look at these clues. Let's get into it. We're going to do a little review very quickly uh, to get us up to date on this, because Daniel precedes Revelation. To understand Daniel correctly, we need to understand, uh, to understand Revelation correctly, we need to understand Daniel. So Daniel 2, very first of these prophetic chapters, uh, very simple to understand. It starts with this statue, a head of gold, silver, brass, iron, and then clay mixed with iron. And then a stone comes and destroys the statue. And the chapter itself tells us Babylon is this head of gold, followed by the next kingdom, followed by the next kingdom, next kingdom, next kingdom, until the coming of the Lord, when he destroys all the kingdoms of the earth. So the, the pattern is set. All the prophecies build on this very simple platform, the foundation, going from the prophet's day to the end of time. In Daniel and Revelation, so Daniel's prophets, prophecies go from Daniel's day to the end of time. The prophecies in Revelation go from John's day to the end of time. And then all of them ending in the last days. Uh, the coming of the Lord. All right, so in uh, Daniel 7 then follows Daniel 2 and follows the same pattern. Four great beasts came up out of the sea, each of them different from the other. So we had four metals, five parts, gold, silver, 
bronze, iron, and then iron, still iron there, mixed with clay. So now we have four beasts with a fifth part that then that fourth beast changes, just like the iron chains became mixed with clay. So in this chapter, you have four beasts and then the fourth beast remaining but changing. And they all come up out of the sea. That's going to be significant. We're going to come back to that in just another minute. So there's a picture. So the first beast is this lion with eagle's wings and then a bear lifted up on one side with three ribs in its mouth, a leopard with four heads and four wings, and then this beast that John uh, or Daniel can't uh, describe as something he's ever seen before. And it's got ten horns and iron teeth and lots of different things. It's ferocious. And so those are the four beasts mentioned there in chapter 7 of the book of Daniel, and it parallels Daniel chapter 2. And so... Uh, Babylon being that first gold and that first animal, the lion, followed by Medo-Persia, followed by Greece, followed by Rome, and then Rome dividing, the Roman Empire dividing into the ten nations that eventually became Europe. Ten toes, ten horns, so that dividing of that fourth power into those uh, different, ten different nations, original nations, after the Roman Empire divided up and broke up. And Daniel 2 ended with and the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed and the stone will destroy the, the statue, right? So the coming of the Lord, God's everlasting kingdom being set up. So again, that's the simple blueprint. And now we're going to continue with this comparison of Daniel with Revelation. Daniel chapter 7 parallels exactly with Revelation 13. And so these two chapters, we're going to see these links and the paralleling together, putting them together. And he's talking about the same thing here with expounding, expanding more onto this topic. So Revelation 13, starting in verse 1. Then I saw the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast rising up out of the sea. In Daniel 7, where did those four different beasts come up out of? The sea. Each of them came up out of the sea. Then this one's coming up out of the sea. So we already have our first parallel in the first words out of chapter 13. Having seven heads and ten horns, and his horns having ten crowns. So seven heads, ten horns in Revelation 13. This one beast with seven heads, ten horns. But we look at Daniel chapter 7, and we have four beasts, but how many heads are on these four beasts. When you count them all, how many heads are there? Seven heads. How many horns? Ten horns. Seven heads, ten horns. So there we have two more matches. So coming up out of the sea, seven heads, ten horns. We have four beasts here. The other part, we have one beast. And we're going to see in a minute why that's actually a match uh, when it comes together. Verse 2. Back to Revelation 13. Revelation 13 is going to be with this blue background, most of them. Uh, Daniel 7 is going to be mostly in red, so we'll be able to, 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 to differentiate between the two. Now, the beast which I saw was like a leopard. So it's a beast, like a leopard, with feet like a bear, and his mouth like a lion. So a beast, like a leopard, like a bear, like a lion. And in Daniel chapter 7, we have... A lion, or a beast, we have a beast, we have a leopard, we have a bear, and we have a lion. Again, matching up. All of them still matching up. So the one beast in Revelation 13 matches up with the four beasts of Daniel 7. And so we have the match. 
both out of the sea, both have seven heads, ten horns. We have in Daniel 7, lion, bear, leopard, beast. In Revelation, beast, leopard, bear, lion. So in opposite order. Why is it in opposite order? That also, the fact that it's in opposite order is also a perfect match for what's going on here. And the reason they're in opposite order is because one is in Daniel's day and the other one is in John's day. And these powers coming from different times. So Daniel is looking forward in time from when this prophecy is given and he is seeing the lion, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and then Rome. But John is standing all the way on the other side of history and he's being shown the prophecy and he's living in the time of Rome. So he's seeing Rome, Greece, Persia, and Babylon. And so they're looking at it from different directions and thus describing what they're seeing. And thus, since all those things have already taken place, God is now just reviewing and just bringing it together. And so he just compiles it together. And so it's all compiled into one beast instead of four different beasts. Because in Revelation 13, again, those other kingdoms, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome, are already gone and already replaced. And so it's just composite beast. And so we have it all together. So we're seeing these links here, all these different links, same type of beast, same number of heads, same number of horns coming up out of the sea uh, as a parallel between the two. So now we can use verses in both these chapters as clues to help us to identify this power. Daniel chapter 7, verse 8. I considered the horns, and behold, there came among them another little horn. So it's still that beast is still there. That fourth beast is still there. But out of that same beast comes this little horn. So now this fourth beast is changing, just like the iron in the Daniel 2 statue changed and became iron mixed with clay. So now this power is changing, but it's still remaining. The iron still remains, and now this beast still remains, but it changes a little bit. And now has a little horn coming up among it. So our first identification, our first clue is represented here as we look at who this little horn power is. And that's where the prophecies then start focusing towards this little horn power represented in Revelation 13 as the whole entire beast together. So, identifying our clues, we're going to go through these 10 different clues, but we want to make sure we get all of the clues before we come to a conclusion. So we're going to look at 10 of them, and we don't want you jumping ahead, don't write anything down until we get all 10 together, because just as if there was a crime in our city, and uh, they said uh, that it was some guy, and he was... Uh, a, a man, it was a guy, and so they come in here and they arrest me because that's what they have as an identification. Well, that wouldn't be fair, right? There's other men here. Why didn't they arrest someone else? They need some more identification than that, right? And so uh, you would still wouldn't want to be arrested on just two things or even several things. You want all the evidence to identify the right person because you don't want to get it wrong. You want to be misidentified. You don't want to be uh, put in prison falsely. And even if nine of them match up, but the 10th one is totally different, well, then that wouldn't be uh, fair either, right? Uh, so if they had ten, uh, 10 identifications, 10 clues for their crime, and they match all of them up, and they nine of them match this person, the 10th one is just totally, totally off. Doesn't match them at all, right? Totally wrong height or something. No way, totally wrong one. 
Well, that wouldn't be fair to arrest him. Well, we, we don't, we're done looking. We don't want to look any further. So let's just arrest this guy. We've got nine enough clues. That's close enough. And we have, we have our fill our prison with, it, with this, right? And so we can close the case, move it off our desk. That wouldn't be fair to that person, right? And then it wouldn't be fair to other people who are affected by the criminal who's still on the loose. And so we want to identify it right. And the skin is so important because this power is going to enforce a mark that's going to affect the whole world. And those who receive that mark will receive the wrath of God. And so if we're looking at the wrong person, we got the wrong identification, and we think this is the criminal, and the real criminal is out there continuing to do crimes. And so we better identify it correctly. So again, don't jump to any conclusion. Don't come to a conclusion based on one, two, nine. Get all, all the clues, and then we'll come to our conclusion. Fair enough? Okay. So, verse 7 said, I, behold, I considered those horns, and behold, there come up a little one among them. So out of this beast power, which we saw already, was Rome, comes this little horn power. So our first clue is this power comes out of Rome in Europe around the time when the beast power is changing. When it's going from its point where it had the ten kingdoms to now three of those kingdoms not there, and so it's already in its divided section. It's already in its divided parts. So you had the Roman Empire and it's already been divided out. And then sometime after it divides out, three of these, well, we'll get to that, but it comes up among the horns, among that same power. So in that area where that power ruled. So out of Rome, out of the Roman Empire in what's now Europe. And before whom there were three of the first horns plucked up by the roots. So three of the horns, three of the kingdoms, three of the nations that the Roman Empire divided up to, three of them get plucked up by the roots. In other words, they're gone. And when this little horn is coming to power. Okay, so that's our second identification. And it comes up, three nations of Europe are knocked out as this kingdom is coming into being. And it's actually because this one is coming into being that these three horns are knocked out. Three nations are no more part of what they originally were at the fall of the Roman Empire. Chapter 7, Revelation, Daniel 7, verse 21. The same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. So it's this persecuting power. And in Revelation 13, verse 7, it says almost the exact same words. And it was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Almost word for word, several words, their exact match in Daniel 7, Revelation 13. To make war with the saints and to prevail over them, prevail against them, or to make war with the saints and to overcome them. Really just one word different, overcome and prevail, the only difference. So again, it's a perfect match between these two. It's talking about the same power, same timeline, same entity, so we can get it right. So it's a persecuting power, persecutes believers, persecutes the saints. Third identification, third clue, persecutes Bible believers. Daniel chapter 7, verse 25, and he shall speak great words against the Most High. Okay, so it's speaking these great words against the Most High, and in Revelation 13, almost the same thing, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies. So again, several words there, exactly the same, speaking great things and blasphemies. So what does it mean to speak blasphemies? Where do we go to find out? 
the Bible. Very good. We go to the Bible to get our Bible definition for its Bible word to find out what blasphemies are. It's not what I think, not what someone else thinks, not what newspapers think, not what internet says. What does the Bible say? So let's look up blasphemies in the Bible. You can do that very simple with a concordance or a search engine on your Bible program. Look up blasphemy and we look at a couple of verses in John chapter 10, verse 33. The Jews answered him saying, for a good work, we do not stone you but for blasphemy, and because you, being a man, make yourself God. Okay, so blasphemy is being a man, and yet making yourself God. That's one definition of blasphemy. And that's why they were accusing Yeshua of blasphemy, because they understood well, from what he was teaching, he was teaching that he was God. And they're saying, but you're just a man, and you're making yourself God. And if that was true, he was just a man making himself God, then that would have been blasphemy and they should have been able to stone him. But since it wasn't true, because he wasn't just a man making himself a God, he was God who made himself man. And there's a big difference between the two. If I, being a man, or you, being a man or a woman, make yourself God, then that's blasphemy. But since he was God and he humbled himself and became man, it's not blasphemy. And that's why God didn't allow them to be able to stone them, even though there were attempts to do so. So one of the definitions of blasphemy is a man who claims to be God or to have the authority of God or the prerogatives of God or the power of God. And then in Luke chapter 5, verse 21, and the Pharisees and the scribes began to reason, saying, who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So another part of the blasphemy is being able to forgive sins or claiming that you have the power to forgive sins because that is something that God and only God can do. And they reasoned again rightly. Here he is claiming to forgive sins. He's claiming to be God. He's claiming to have God's authority, claiming to have God's power, and that's blasphemy. And again, if that was true, if he was just a man claiming that, they would have been right. But since he was God, he was able to do that. So our identification, another clue, is claiming to forgive sins and claiming to have the power of God. And that's the speaking the great things against God. So not necessarily speaking, oh, God's bad, don't believe in God. Again, that wouldn't be a deception that would deceive the whole world. But against God in the sense that saying, I'm God, trust me, I have the power to forgive sins. I'm the forgiver of sins. I can choose who to forgive and who not to forgive. That's my role, that's my power, and I have the power of God here on that, the earth. And so this power will claim to have that authority to be able to do that. Daniel 7, verse 25. And he shall wear out the saints of the Most High. So another reference to this persecuting power. And think to change times and laws. So it's going to be a power that claims to have the power of God. Because they've been given this, this authority of God. God on earth to change God's laws, especially those laws pertaining to time. Okay, so our fifth identification tries to change God's law pertaining to time. In chapter 7, still verse 25, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of time. Now we discussed this when we did Daniel 7 and other times when we discussed 
This time prophecy is mentioned seven different times between Daniel and Revelation, so we're not going to take the time to review it again here. But we saw this time, times, and dividing a time is equivalent to 42 months, equivalent to three and a half years, and equivalent to 1,260 days. That's how it equals out. And in Daniel, uh, Revelation chapter 13, it's described here he was given authority to continue for 42 months. 42 months is the same as three and a half years. And then in biblical year, 30 days in a month would be, uh, in 42 of those months, would be 1,260 days. And we've seen from the Bible that a day mentioned, a prophetic day, is equal to a literal year. We saw that in the book of Numbers, chapter 14. We also see it in the book of Ezekiel, chapter 4, verse 6. I have given you a day for a year. Right? So this day for your principle, again, it's very well used, very well understood, and it's used by uh, all people who understand Daniel and Revelation. The difference is that some will use it when it's convenient for them, and not other times. We've been using it consistently with every time prophecy. And to rightly understand Daniel and Revelation, you need to be consistent in your interpretation of the chapters. Using this for an example, the principle of starting at the time of the prophet, going to the end, these principles, using them continually over and over again is key to bringing it all together in a cohesive manner. Okay, so our sixth identification, sixth clue is they shall, it shall rule, the power shall rule for 1,260 years. So obviously it's not just an individual, unless he's a very uh, long-lived individual, but it's a power, a system, as we saw all these others, Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, were systems, were nations, were powers, and they reign for however long. This one reigns, it continues for 1,260 years. From the time it comes to its power to the time when it loses its power. And that's what it says in this next one we're looking at, Revelation 13, 3. And I saw one of his heads as if it had been mortally wounded. Right? Not fatally, but mortally wounded. So it receives this mortal wound, and that's when that 1,260 years ends. So from the time it comes to its full power to the time it gets this wound will be 1,260 years. So it's the power that is reigning, has a lot of power, a lot of authority, running around like a ferocious beast, but it then loses its power. Okay, number seven, will lose its power. Revelation 13, verse three, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. So it has this deadly wound, but its deadly wound is healed. It comes back to life in a sense. And then all the world marvels at it and follows the beast. Who is like the beast? Marveling at this beast. Right? We saw Mikamokaboli uh, Madonai, a description of God. Right? Who is like unto thee, O Lord our God? And so again, the counterfeit. And also the counterfeit, Yeshua himself received a wound, a mortal wound, and was dead for three days, but then also came back to life at the end of three days. And also, how long did Yeshua minister? From the time that he was anointed to the time he was given his authority to reign as the Messiah, to work as the Messiah, until his death. How long? Three and a half years. All right, so that prophetic time, 42 months. 
1,260 days, right? So he ministers for that same time period, and this one will continue for that time period in prophetic time in years of the 1,260 years, uh, not just the, the days. And so again, the counterfeiting, constant counterfeiting. And so again, the focus needs to be, again, the focus on Revelation, Daniel, our understanding, is on the Lamb. That's the most important part. He's the most important one. But these are important items for us to know as well what the counterfeit is and how he's trying to counterfeit Yeshua. And so our focus is on the Lamb, but we need to understand this as well. And again, it's going to be very close to looking real, looking good. Otherwise, how would all the world follow and marvel after it? So it's going to be this overwhelming deception. Now, if it's this long and this deception, I don't think this wasn't planned out. They couldn't plan, oh, well, we'll come to power and we'll reign for 1,260 years and then we'll lose our power, right? So just so that it matches up with Yeshua's three and a half years and we're not going to receive a mortal wound and then come back from that just so that we can match up Yeshua and, and be this counterfeit. It's not planned out. But God foresaw all this. And this is the devil's attempts. It's the devil. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's the devil controlling these aspects of this power. Okay. Um, verse 7 of still Revelation 13. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. Again, we see that as a counterfeit for Yeshua, who will reign over every tribe, kindred, and people. So our identification number eight is it regains its power. It receives a worldwide following after it regains its power and it has a worldwide impact upon the world for every nation, tribe, kindred, and people. Revelation 13, verse four. So they worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. So this is worship and then continues and says, and they worship the beast saying, who is like the beast? Yeah, very similar. Who is like unto the O Lord God? Who is like unto this beast? This counterfeit. And they're worshiping this beast. And so worship, what realm does worship take place in? When we had libraries, you we went to the library and things were in sections and topics. Right? And what topic would worship fall under? Religion, religion topic, right, very good. So religion power, so it's a religious power, but it's still an animal, it's still a beast here in this prophecy, and the other beasts were nations. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, right? And so it's a nation, but it's also a religious nation. It's a power, it's a religious, so it's a nation, it's a political, religious power. Politi religio political power. So it's a religious power, but it's also a political power at the same time. Okay, we're nine identifications. Nine clues. And then the tenth one, and the number of his, and his number is 666. I think some times say the number of his name, his number is 666. And some people will look at that and they'll run with that. Oh, 666. Oh, no, no. Stay away from buildings that have a sixth floor. Oh, no. Don't give that apartment that's 666 or that street number 666 or the telephone number as 666. Oh, no. It's not the numbers, but his number. And it's not one. That's just one identification. It's not the whole thing. It's just one. That one's a little harder to understand without all the details of it. 
But I think all the rest of them are pretty plain. And this one will come into, we'll see how it fits in as well when we look at all the identifications. So these are the 10. And so put those together in your mind. And again, we don't want to misidentify. Put that together in your mind and, and then write down on your paper who that sounds like to you. And then Daniel 7 continues and says, the court will sit and his dominion will be taken away and be destroyed and abolished for all time. Just like the stone in Daniel smashing the statue, it takes us, the prophecy takes us all the way to the coming of the Lord and judgment taking place against his power. And I saw in the night visions and behold, one like the son of man came with the clouds of heaven. So right till the end of time. And there was given him glory and a kingdom and that all people and nations and languages should serve him and his dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And so again, the counterfeit does that same thing, tries to get there, has a worldwide following, everyone marvels who is like unto this beast and all the nations and languages and peoples worship it and follow it. But then the reality comes, Yeshua comes, he destroys all the nations of this world. He'll eventually set up his everlasting kingdom and everyone who is saved will worship him and serve him. Praise the Lord, right? So all the prophecies again end at that point, uh, come to that culmination, come to that climax. And that is where our focus needs to be. And in order to get there and be a part of the saved and not get sidetracked and get deceived and look to the wrong place, we need to know the truth from the error. So we need to be grounded in the truth. And Mary should have said from the beginning that if you haven't accepted Yeshua as your Messiah, then maybe even just shut the video now or walk out now and, and, and leave now and, uh, and, and, and don't worry about this because knowing this power, if you know the beast, but don't know the lamb, that's going to be more dangerous than not knowing the beast power at all. So if you don't know the lamb yet, before we go on to this identification, or you identify it and share it with me. If you don't know the lamb, and I should have done that in the beginning before I wasted your time on that. If you don't know the lamb yet, then either leave or accept him now as your Lord and Savior. If you don't know Yeshua and you've never accepted him as your Messiah, I invite you right now. Before we go on anymore, just right where you are, say, Lord, come into my life. I want you to be my Lord. I want you to be my Savior. I want to receive your forgiveness of sins. I accept your deadly wound for my sins and your resurrection to newness of life, to fill me with your Holy Spirit, to transform me and change me. And so that's your options. Yeah. <laughs> Either leave or, or accept him as your Lord and Savior. And then we can move on to the identification of the beast, who it's a contrast to him. So we need to know the lamb. That needs to be our focus. He's going to reign forever and ever. Okay, so some people have looked at this last one of 666 and said, oh, look at Ronald Reagan. Oh, he, he lived at 666 St. Cloud Street. So he's, he's the beast power. And his name has six letters in the first name, uh, Ronald, and then six in whatever his middle name is. And six, uh, or, or totaled out. I don't know, somehow they totaled it out. And, and uh, so he's it or something like that. So that's not the way to do it. I heard other people have said, oh, Mikhail Gorbachev, he's it. Look, he's got a mark on his head, right? So he's got this mark of the beast, so he's it, right? And that's the kind of crazy stuff. People say, oh, the barcodes, oh, don't buy food when barcodes first were put labels on those little numbers on the, on the, on the food. 
Uh, oh no, don't buy any foods that have those labels on them when they first came out. That's going to be the mark of the beast. And that's many years now, 30 years or so years now. And all foods, you know, you haven't bought anything if, uh, if that's what you've done. Not only the foods, uh, every item has a barcode now. So obviously that wasn't it. It hasn't been around for 1,000 years. So there's all these tangent ideas. But we take all those lists out of all this 10. Look over that list again and write down on your cards. And we'll collect them, and we'll tally them, and, um, and, uh, and then we'll see what you said. And we've done this before. Uh, we'll see how it matches up. Okay, so while you're doing that, I'll continue on a little bit. Give you a couple more moments to think on that. You need to send those, see those 10 again. Okay, come back up there. Could put some music on. Hidden. All right, coming up. All right. Okay. All right. So now, while we're tallying those, we'll look over this chart again. And just, I know it's hard to see, but we'll uh, I'll give you the colors. And so on top, it's the brown, and it's the timeline starting from Daniel's day of 500 BCE, about. And then Calvary, Yeshua's birth and death and burial and resurrection, then 500 CE, and then 1800 CE, and then the second coming, and then the thousand years, and then eternity. And we've seen, so it starts with that green line there, Daniel 2, that we talked about tonight. Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, Rome, divided Rome, all the way to the second coming of the Lord. And then all of the prophecies follow that same pattern. See the consistency? In following from the Daniel's day to the end of time, covering Earth's history. And every time we looked at that, 1,260 years, the seven times it's there, all there in the same spot, same time in history. And again, this shows that God is concerned, God cares, God loves us. And he's written the Bible in such a way that it records all of history from the time of Adam and Eve, from the beginning of time, all the way through with every major section of history of God's people, God's interaction on work on this world uh, with people is recorded in the Bible. Not some major gap in the middle there, but everything just following through in order. So we came to chapter 12, then the pattern changes, and that's what we did last time. In Daniel chapter 12, it talks about the devil. And it takes us to the beginning of the devil when he was created and he fell. So even before this earth was created, and that timeline then goes to his destruction at the end. And so that timeline is much longer than all the rest. We'll go off our chart, off our screen. And so it covers all of that. And that kind of makes this dividing line different than all the rest of the chapters. And then all the chapters after that, about the middle of Revelation, all the chapters after that are going to now focus on last day events and culminate again at the very end. End. And so that's where we're moving after this chapter into these last, so this red line, Revelation 13. First beast, identifying tonight, it received its wound, its wound was healed, all the world followed, and then the second beast we'll do next week. Okay, so are we ready with our figures yet? Dialing that up still? Now when they put this gap in, as a lot of people have interpreted with this gap put in here, and then you got this big, huge hole in the middle. And some of the chapters they'll say, oh, that ended with Antioch Epiphanes, even before Yeshua came along, and it's shortened. 
And then uh, Daniel 9, they got split in, in, in two parts. They, they do most of the chapter, and then they stop. And they have this big, huge, we don't know how long gap, now over about 2,000, close to 2,000 years. And then at the very end, there's a little bit left. And then the rest of the chapters, for the most part, they throw all the way into the end. And if I was to really squeeze it so that it's actually to scale, that would be such a thin line, you probably wouldn't even be able to see the line. They, they, they squeeze it all into three and a half or seven years. Almost all the rest, all of Daniel, all of Revelation, into this last portion, this last period of time. And that's really ridiculous. And it says God doesn't care about anything that took place in all of those years. And then just squeezing all this prophecy, all these things that are supposed to going to happen into that time period, instead of it all having happened over all of this long period of time. And that God cares about all of history. Now, all of the Protestant reformers understood Daniel and Revelation like we've been looking at it historically as covering the history. All of them. And they understood this power as the way that we've generally discovered and found out. Okay, so what's our, you got it yet? What's our totals? Just the percentages, yeah. Okay, so it's about 2% says Satan. Okay. <laughs> How about that? Okay, all right, very interesting. That's very interesting. That's a six, six, uh, 66.6% said it was the papacy. Very interesting. Okay. Um, so let's take a look and let's look at through this thing. Um, it's close to 70 or 80 percent that identify it that way. But when it came to the reformers, the Protestant reformers, they were 100 percent all identified it as the papacy. So let's see if that matches up. So we had those Satan. Well, certainly Satan is over it. Certainly that applies. Um, and obviously, again, it wasn't Ronald Reagan or, or Prince Charles or uh, Mikhail Gorbachev or barcodes. Um, but uh, but we'll see if it matches with the papacy that you guys said. We'll see if that matches. Well, did the papacy come up out of the Roman Empire? That's one of the identifications. It comes up out of Rome, out of Europe, after the Roman Empire collapsed and it's divided into ten nations. Did the papacy come into power sometime after that? Well, uh, certainly the, so the Roman Empire, there's a picture, the red is the Roman Empire. Did the papacy come up out of this region in Rome? Well, According to historians, to the succession of the Caesars came the succession of the pontiffs in Rome. When Constantine left Rome, he gave his seat to the pontiff. Okay, so very interesting. So it's basically, again, the story is saying, okay, so when the Roman Empire collapsed, Constantine left Rome, and he gives its power to the pope, to the pontiff. He moves his capital to Constantinople, leaving Rome uh, vacant. And he says, okay, Bishop, now you're in charge there. Splitting it up between Western and Eastern. Another historian, that the papacy is none other than the ghost of the deceased Roman Empire sitting there, sitting crowned upon the grave thereof. Okay, he's just saying, well, that's the next power that came into being. 
Another historian. Out of the ruins of the Roman Empire, there gradually arose a new order of states whose central point was the Papal See. All right, so historically, very clear. Roman Empire collapses, collapses in those different nations, and then gradually it comes up the Papal See, which then becomes the, 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 the Roman, uh, the, uh, the Christian Empire, the Roman Christian Empire. So then, identification number two, three nations of Europe are knocked out as this power comes into being. Three nations knocked out as the papacy came to power? Certainly, yes. Uh, it was the first ones knocked out, and then another emperor, Justin, Justinian, exterminated the Vandals in 543 AD and then broke the power of the Ostrogoths in 538 AD. So three nations get knocked out. They were Aryan nations. It was at this time that Justinian made a decree establishing the Bishop of Rome as the political and religious leader of the Western, of Western Rome. So it uh, takes out these Aryan nations. They were three Aryan nations that were opposed to the papacy. Uh, and, and so uh, the Roman Empire is used, the remains of the Roman Empire is used to wipe out those three nations, and as those three nations are wiped out, then the Pope is put into his position and given this authority by the Emperor Justinian, and he has no other nations opposing him, and it comes to its power in 538 AD. That's when that last of those three nations, those three of those horns, gets plucked up. And that becomes the starting date both it has no opposition and has been given authority by the emperor, and now it has its power to rule, its ability to rule. And that starts that 1,260 years. Number three, clue three, persecutes Bible believers. Has the papacy persecuted Bible believers? Oh yes, without a doubt. Various different ways, torturing people, forced conversion of Jews, inquisitions, of even after they converted, but then not believe they converted, and and, and try them and test them. And, and anyone who believed in uh, anything other than the papacy didn't follow along with the Catholics. They were being persecuted very strongly, very clearly, and very, uh, uh, the rag, and we still have the remains today of dungeons with racks and, and, and instruments of torture that they used. Uh, horrible, horrible atrocities were used during that time period. Now, I should point out now, and maybe even earlier, that as we're seeing whether or not this power fits all of these clues, this power, whatever power it is, it's a system. It's not individual people. Just as Babylon was the first beast, that first head of gold and that first lion with eagle's wings, and it had some good people in it, Nebuchadnezzar ends up coming to the Lord. So there could be saved people within Babylon and saved people within that beast power, just as there's saved people within this last power here, this power that's mentioned here. It could be saved people, individuals. It could be individuals, bishops, priests, popes that could be saved. But it's this system that's being described that has done these things over this long period of time. And so far, we've seen a match with our first three identifications. And so even though some people were doing some atrocities, horrible things, these persecutions, didn't mean everybody, not everybody was lost under it, and everybody for all the years. Verse 4, clue 4. 
claims to forgive sins and the power of God. Does the Catholic Church have a system to be able to forgive sins? They have a confession booth. People go in, they confess their sins, and the priest says, do these Hail Marys or whatever, and you are forgiven, right? And claims there, gives them forgiven. But even let's look at some of the writings. Uh, in this book called The Catholic Priest, there's information about the Catholic Priest written by a Catholic. It says, seek where you will through heaven and earth, and you will find but one created being who can forgive the sinner. And that, of course, wonderful being is? That extraordinary being is the priest, the Catholic priest, according to this book. And according to the Bible, what is that? Blasphemy, right? This is from Pope Leo XIII in his encyclical. We hold upon this earth the place of God Almighty. What is that? Blasphemy, right? Yeah. Again, there might be popes that could be saved, but they, you know, with this misunderstanding, whatever. I don't believe all of it was just this, you know, oh, let's try and set this up and corrupt everything. I believe they believed that they were doing God's service. I believe that. Even all to the way of the leadership. I think they're helping God. They're serving God. They're doing God in this way. They're serving God. Deceived, wrong, but nonetheless, I believe that they thought they were doing good. George Bush, President George Bush, called, invited the Pope to come to the White House, and he called him Holy Father over and over again. And other dignitaries and others have done the same thing. And in reading all these different places in the papers where it's mentioned, i never seen where any statement from the papacy saying, no, 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 stop calling him that. Don't call him that. That's a name. That's a title reserved only for God. God is the only one who's holy. He's the only one who's good. He's our holy father. Call no man father. He's the only holy father. No, he receives that title all the time and embraces it. And that, again, is claiming to be God on earth. So certainly... Fits number four. Number five, tries to change God's law pertaining to time. And there are many things I can quote on this one, but we'll go to one. In Daniel 7, it said, it thinks to change times and laws. This is again from a, a, a Vatican um, statement. The Pope has power to change times to abrogate laws, and to dispense with all things, even the precepts of Christ. Almost word for word, right out of Daniel chapter 7. Think to change times laws. Same words. To change times laws. It's almost like they, they read Daniel 7 and said, oh, let's write this in, in, this, in, this, in this book here, paper here, or whatever, and, and, and use the same words. They're using the same exact words. And again, I don't think it was that cynical or that planned. But God is using that to help us to see. And them also, if they're willing to listen, any individual, to come and to see this, the, this, the, the, system, the, the role the system has been playing all these years. And again, it's not necessarily bad, good as a whole. The Catholic Church has done a lot of wonderful things over the years. 
wonderful hospitals and healthcare systems and humanitarian aid and stand for some good things politically and uh, anti-abortion things and, and um, educational systems. A lot of parts of the world wouldn't have any education if it wasn't for, for the Catholic Church going in there and having some kind of school system and, and teaching people to read. And so it's done a lot of good things over the years. Again, the whole thing is not bad. Every person I've ever met, individual, good people. And the system is just such a big system. It's been going on for so long. The ball is just rolling. And again, the Bible is not describing good, bad. It's just describing this is the powers and this is the place it's going to play in history. And it's going to do these things. Whether purposely or ignorantly, I think most of it ignorantly. Deceived, again, and wrong. It wasn't good to change God's laws pertaining to time. God's Sabbath, which time, and we have another text, I have a catechism itself, Catholic book, teaching, and it says, we are the one who changed the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday. And I'll quote that sometime here, sometime. Number six, shall rule for 1,260 years. Again, it's not a single individual. It's a long period of time that it, from when it receives its power, 538 AD, until when it loses its power. That's a long period of time. And to fit that, there's not very many that could fit exactly that. Let's see if it fits. The Ostrogoths, the last of the Aryan kingdoms to oppose the Roman church, was overthrown in the year 538 AD. And the emperor gives it its authority and power to rule over the Roman, the Western part. So 538 AD is the starting point. We go exactly 1,260 years to 1798. Did anything major take place within Catholicism in 1798 that would fit this description of losing its power? It would have to be something very major. It would have to be something very dramatic. And it certainly was. In 1798, Napoleon's general Berthier broke the Roman church's political power by taking the Pope captive, putting him in prison where he languishes and dies in that prison, and takes the Vatican captive. The whole Vatican city, the whole Vatican state, then loses its power. And in the book uh, Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan describes his, his, uh, his, his main lead character named Christian going on his pilgrimage and he walks past, he goes past lots of different things. Pallion and all kinds of different things on his walk. And he comes upon this cave and in front of the cave is a whole bunch of bones. And in the cave is a toothless Pope. And he just walks past. It doesn't bother him at all. He yells some obscenities at it and he just keeps on going. Doesn't he has no power at that time. The Church of England gave Bunyan more problems than, than the Catholic Church was able to give him at that period of time in history because it lost its power. But, number eight says it will Okay, so here again, so in, 19, in 1798, he, Berthier, made his entrance into Rome. That's um, Napoleon's general, Berthier, to abolish the papal government and to establish a secular one in its place, the Encyclopedia Americana, 1941 edition. Right, so historians see that was a significant event, abolished the papal government. That'd be pretty dramatic, right? So it has its power, and then it has its power abolished. So it lost its power, but then it's going to regain its power and receive a worldwide following and have a worldwide impact. In the San Francisco Chronicle, the Roman question tonight was a thing of the past. The Vatican was at peace with Italy in affixing the autographs 
to this, to this Roman question, so the Vatican and Italy question was in the past, now it's at peace by affixing the autographs to the memorable document Healing the Wound. Extreme cordiality was displayed on both sides. Now, I don't know if the writer of the, and that's San Francisco Chronicles, February 11th, 1929. So just before World War II, Mussolini coming to power and heals this wound. You get Catholics backing him and on his side. Very interesting. I don't know if the writer of this article in this paper read the Bible, was religious at all, but he uses words right out of Revelation 13. Healing the wound. That's exactly what it said. His speech power would receive a mortal wound and the wound would be healed. That's what this writer says. They were, they were, it's a great thing. And this healing of this wound. And that's exactly what happened. Well, since that time, has the papacy come to a worldwide following? It certainly has. Here's a, I won't read it, but Martin, uh, Martin Luther sparked the Reformation uh, with the 95 Thesis. And yet today, the, the document has been written, the, the Joint Declaration of Doctrine of Justification, the World Methodist Council, and the World Conf Communion of Churches, and the Lutherans have all signed that already. And then on the 500th, on October 31st, 2017, the exact 500 year anniversary of Martin Luther writing that 95 thesis and nailing it, uh, the Pope went with Lutherans and had a great meeting together commemorating Martin Luther's writing, Martin Luther leaving the Catholic Church and writing those 95 theses, condemning the practice of indulgences and then the Anglican Church signing on as well. So all these four different denominations signing on. We all believe the same thing now. All united together. Coming together, healing the wound. BBC has gained a worldwide influence and prestige and prominence. And so we see that in the news all the time. Queen of England coming to the Vatican. What is she doing at the Vatican? The, so the Church of England, representing the Church of England, and uh, Russian President Putin, Communist Russia, what's he doing at the Vatican? He's coming to confess sins? What's he doing there? You'll notice a lot of the people, the Pope's wearing white, almost all the pictures, and the people that are visiting are almost always in black. Very interesting. Not always, but almost all the time. Iran president. So Muslims now, so England, Russia, Iran, Muslims, all bringing gifts. Saudi Arabia, coming with gifts. Jordan, King of Jordan and his wife, coming to the Pope, meeting at the Vatican. So Muslim leaders, atheist leaders, Ararat, the president of uh, the Palestinians, he was voted for a four-year term 17 years ago. Still had another election. Still reigning over it. As well as president, uh, previous president of Israel. Prime Minister of Israel. Prime Ministers have gone. Presidents of Israel have gone and visited with the Pope. So Jewish and Muslim 
and atheists and political leaders, religious leaders, U.S. leaders, U.S. President Obama, in the White House, inviting to the United States. President Trump, again, everyone in black, him in white. This is at the Vatican. President Trump's very first international trip. Saudi Arabia, Israel, and then the Vatican. So on the first trip to the Vatican. Buddhists getting together with the Pope. All the world. No longer a toothless living in a cave, but going around the world, every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, every religion. Greek Orthodox, or Eastern, I don't know if it's Greek, Eastern Orthodox or Greek Orthodox, but Orthodox coming to the Vatican, or they were opposed for a long time, coming together, uniting together, Evangelical Christians. Maybe you recognize, I don't know any of these. This next one, let's see. I don't recognize any, I don't know all, well, one of these guys I've heard of. I've never heard any of the sermons, any of these guys, but all, all in black, Pope in the middle, all surrounding him. Most of these pictures, even ecumenical pictures, he's there in the middle. They're all surrounding him, all supporting him. He's the center. And so all these evangelical leaders came to the Vatican in this show of support. And one of the things he wrote, he sent out a video that the Holy Scriptures speak of when Joseph's brothers began to starve from hunger, that his brothers came back to Joseph. And he's inviting the churches to come back to Joseph. We'll get more into that another time. He's Joseph. He's the go. They were bad. They condemned him. They tried to kill him. They left. They left him. And now they came back to Joseph, that Joseph was their savior. And he's inviting them, come back. Come back. All the world wanders after. Washington, D.C. and the Pope Mobile. Red carpet. There's a lot of leaders who've gone to the White House, they win the Super Bowl, World Series, nation presidents and kings and others and uh, prime ministers. I don't remember them ever getting a red carpet. Red carpet poured out. Maybe they have, I don't know. But he gets a red carpet, comes in on this red carpet. I need some help back there, get this button to work. And you notice the flags in the background. We'll zoom in on some of these flags here. Get this going here. There we go. Walking on the red carpet. Go to the next one. You see the yellow flags and the United States flags. There's yellow, white flags and the United States flags. All over the White House lawn, all the way up and down the streets, on all the street poles. Vatican flag, U.S. flag. Vatican flag, U.S. flag. Now again, I, I haven't seen that when... when uh, Israel Prime Minister comes, they have Israeli flags or Canada, Canada. No, I've never seen that. Maybe they do. I don't know. A big parade, all big white red carpet going down and honoring that. All the world wandering after. And even at the UN, speaking at the UN. 
a religious political power. So it's regained this worldwide following, that's very clear. It has a worldwide impact. It's a religious power and a political power. You see, the religious power, that's very clear. It's a Roman Catholic Church, right? It's a church. But also it's a political power. And that is well known by those who know. He speaks at the UN, not because he's a guest, but because he has a seat there. The Vatican has a seat at the UN because it's a nation. Only nations get seats at the UN, and so it's considered a nation. It is a nation state, and so it has a seat there. It has a representative from the United States, a, uh, an appointed delegate from the United States to the Vatican see, to the Vatican country. And even here, tell me out back there, uh, from this Reuters news agency statement back in 2001, he, talking about John Paul II, he was elected in 1978 to become not only the leader of the Roman Catholic Church, but also the monarch of the Vatican City. So again, it's well known by those who, who understand it. It's ruler of a church as well as a city-state, Vatican See, the Papal See, right? So it's a state, it's a government, it's a country in and of itself. So and that's the ninth identification. Then the tenth one, again, for the tenth one, we have to understand the number of his name equals 666. So for that, we need some calculation to know some of his names. So far, though, he's matched up all nine. So one of the names of the Pope is referred to, one of the titles is Vicarious Filii Dei, Vicar of the Son of God. And uh, in a letter from this uh, written by uh, the Catholic University of America at Washington, D.C. This was in 1943 this was written. Okay, the title, Vicarious Filii Dei, as well as the title, shortened version, Vicarious Christus, uh, is very common as the title for the Pope. Okay, so a very common title in Vatican circles, in papal circles, Christian uh, Catholic circles, Vicarious Filii Dei, Vicar of the Son of Christ representative of the Son of God. Okay, so we take that and use Roman numerals, Roman power, and this might be why we still study Roman numerals in school. I don't know any other reason why we would study Roman numerals in school in the United States, but they still teach it today. But so uh, maybe it's just so that we can figure this out. V equals five, I equals one, C equals 100, and so on down the line. And you add that all up together, and they equal the number of this name, the number of this title is 666. Okay, but that's only one. Again, that's not the major identification. More importantly is all these other things. Reigning 1,260 years, exactly from when it gets its power to it loses its power. Uh, it, um, worldwide following, receiving a deadly wound, uh, persecuting believers during the dark ages, during the over 1,000 year period of time. Fitting all those descriptions. And these are some of all the Protestant reformers. This is what they believe. This is what some of them wrote. Martin Luther, founder of the Lutheran Church. The kingdom of Babylon and of very Antichrist, the man of sin, the son of perdition. That's not from Revelation or Daniel. Son of perdition is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Who by his teachings and his ordinances increases the sin and perdition of souls while he yet sits in the church as if he were God. And that's also quoting partly from 2 Thessalonians 2. All these conditions have for many ages been fulfilled 
by the papal tyranny. So again, Luther saw the papacy as fitting that role. John Calvin, founder of the Presbyterian Church. He is Antichrist. Some persons think us too severe and censorship when we call the Roman pontiff Antichrist. I shall briefly show that Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 are not capable of any other interpretation than that which applies them to the papacy. Pretty clear words. John Wesley of the Methodist. He is, referring to uh, the Pope, he is the man of sin. He is, too, properly styled the son of perdition. He it is that exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, claiming the highest power and highest honor, claiming the prerogatives which belong to God alone. And so he's referring to 2 Thessalonians as well as to Daniel 7 and Revelation 13 and applying that to the papacy. King James, the one who authorized the authorized version, the King James Version. The faithful praises God for the Pope's destruction and their deliverance and for the plagues which are to light on him and his followers. Now, I'm not advocating that we should delight in the destruction of anyone or the punishment of anyone. And I don't agree with that kind of statement, but I'm just showing that all the Protestant reformers understood these Bible prophecies to apply to the papacy. But again, as we've said, that, uh, well, let's read this one first. John Wycliffe, the first translator of the Bible into English. The seventh chapter of Daniel, Daniel Antichrist, is forcefully described by a, a horn arising in the time of the fourth kingdom, having eyes and a mouth speaking great things and against the lofty one and wearing out the saints of the Most High and thinking that he is able to change times and laws. For so our clergy foresee the Lord Pope. So he is clearly identifying the text that we looked at tonight for representing the Pope. But again, it's not just a Pope or any Pope. Again, a Pope could be saved just as Nebuchadnezzar could be saved in ignorance. Um, uh, and any, certainly Catholic person, in any position, anywhere along the line. But they've gotten caught up in a system that has been used by the devil to do all these horrible things, speaking great things, blasphemous things, persecuting saints, persecuting God's people, outlawing the Bible for a long period of time. Horrible, horrible atrocities. It's causing much death, much suffering. But again, I believe most of them were doing it, thinking we're doing God's service, we're trying to lead people to the Lord, and anyone who's not following the Lord, and so they felt they were doing God's service. But that's not right. And so all the Protestant reformers, all of these, not only believe this, but they, some of them died because of this belief. Some of them risked their lives because of this belief. Many of them were offered opportunity to recant. And if you just recant what you believe on this issue, we will let you go free. If not, we will burn you at the stake. We will kill you. We will cut off your head. We'll do whatever. We'll pull you apart. Um, and, and these people thought this teaching, this understanding of this chapter was so important that they gave their lives and were willing to give their lives. Like Luther, standing before the judgment at the, the Vatican, not at the Vatican, but in the, the judgment that the, the 
papacy was holding against him. Offered him to recant. No, I will not recant. By the Bible and the Bible alone, I stand. Prove me wrong by the Bible. I'm willing to die. And he was spared miraculously. Otherwise, he would have been killed. There was a price put on his head, and other of them did die. Hush, Jerome, and others killed for this teaching. And this is important. It's important for us to understand. It'll be important as we come to these last days. But also equally important for we don't, that we don't condemn any individuals. Yeah, just looking at the description of this power in these last days and the roles it's played over the years. Now, in comparison to the Lamb, and again, that's where our focus needs to be and our mind needs to be. And so this is in chapter 13 that we've been looking. It's not the first chapter of Revelation. It's not the first thing you share with someone. Until they know the Lamb, don't share with them. Focus on the Lamb. Beast comes up out of Rome. Yeshua was born under Roman rule. Knocks out three nations. He will destroy all nations. Persecutes Bible believers. Yeshua upholds all Bible believers. Claims to forgive sins and have the power of God. Yeshua does forgive sins, and he is the power of God. The beast tries to change God's laws. Yeshua wrote God's laws and kept God's laws. Shall rule for 1,260 days or years, and Yeshua reigned for 1,260 days or till his death from his anointing, and he shall rule forever. He will lose its power. And receive, Yeshua received a deadly wound. Will receive healing. Yeshua received healing. We'll have a worldwide following. Yeshua will, all the universe shall bow before him. It's a religious, political power. Yeshua has all power. He's a king and a priest. Religious and political God is. Politicians above all politicians. And his name equals 666. And Yeshua's name is above all names. So again, there's counterfeit all throughout. We'll focus on the Lamb, the one who has all power and who loves us with an everlasting love. So let's close with prayer. Again, very important. Oh, and I should say, very important part. The reason why that gap theory is put in there we looked at that timeline, and this gap put in there was by the papacy themselves. They're the ones who invented that teaching that's been caught, caught up by Protestants and promoted by Protestants now, almost primarily. The whole thing, because all the Protestant reformers identified the papacy as that power. And the papacy didn't like that. And so they had a counter-reformation, and in the counter-reformation, they came up with two different theories. One theory was, well, it was all in the past, Antioch Epiphanies and all like that, its powers are in the past, or in the future, so far in the future, you don't even look for it. It can't be us. We're here today. That power is going to be in the future. And all over time, over time, kept on seeping it, seeping it, seeping it, through Guy Darby, through Schofield, and others. Eventually, it seeped into Protestantism, and today is the most common teaching in Protestantism, that all this revelation, Daniel, applies to the end time. doesn't apply to the papacy. It applies to some end time. Being, again, this last the few seven-year period of time, which they steal from a different prophecy and throw to the end of time unjustly and wrench it out of its place. And they get all of that from the papacy itself that propagated that delusion has been bought today by Protestants 
unless they're no longer protesting. One of the guys that was standing in the, with the Pope at that picture, with all the evangelicals together, he said that. He said, there's no protest going on anymore. No one's protesting anymore. And if there's no protest, then there's no Protestants. And if there's no Protestants, then we're all Catholics. That's what he said to this group. And they all went, yay! All these ministers. And that's how it seeped in. Very important for us to understand the Lord, the Lamb, follow Yeshua, but also understand how Satan is using this power and now all the powers that are unifying with it and joining with it that will bring about the mark and we'll get to the mark later on. Mark hasn't been installed yet, so it's not a problem yet, but it will be. And we'll be able to know what it is. We'll see that from the Bible as well. And we'll be prepared not to receive it and get sidetracked by it. It's important that we understand which one this is so that we're not looking in the wrong place. Not arresting the wrong power. Some people have thought, well, maybe this is Islam. Islam fits some of the descriptions. Islam certainly is persecuted by believers. It's been around a long time. I don't know if it's exactly 1,260 years of receiving its power, losing its power. It doesn't meet all of them. Islam does fall into place. We saw that. It fits in Daniel 11. It fits into Revelation, the fifth and sixth trumpet. It has its place in Bible prophecy, but not here. This beast, clearly from what you guys said, from what all the reformers said, is the papacy as a whole. Not individuals again, any pope or priest or person but a system as a whole. But let us keep our eyes on the Lamb. Okay, let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we pray, Lord, that you continue to lead and guide and direct in our lives. We want to serve you and serve you only. Don't let us get distracted. Don't let us get caught up in the things of this world, even that look good and sound good. May we follow you and follow you only. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.